Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch. And today we're continuing our look around the NHL long-term kind of future of teams. Today's focus is the Minnesota Wild. So this is our third episode in the series. Buffalo first, Detroit second. If you missed either of those, we appreciate you checking those out. Uh, the podcast that is available on pretty much all major podcast platforms, Max Turn Podcasts, search that and you should find us. Appreciate you uh, subscribing there, following us on Twitter at AFP Analytics, at Max Term Pod. We're also on the Blue Sky, Blue Ski. I don't, we, we were debating how that's actually pronounced properly, so I'll, I'll go with both this time, cover my bases. Our names, Kyle Stitch, James Finch, will get, will find us there. Uh, as, as that app becomes more popular, I think we're going to try to integrate and post more content there as well. And uh, any ads or anything like that you might hear associated with this podcast. Products are not necessarily things that we're working with or endorsing. And with that, the Minnesota Wild. I think it's an interesting choice for us to choose this early. But kind of the idea of this is teams that are looking to, that are right around the playoffs, looking to take another step long-term have some long-term built interesting building questions to talk about the minnesota wild definitely have some long-term building questions to talk about joked how similar is this going to sound to our last episode on detroit well we'll i guess we'll find out but the wild are at least in a better position in the now they've been a playoff team or at least right there, pretty consistently. But also being right there has kind of hindered their ability to build up their prospect pool. So they're they're kind of a mixed bag here. Some older talent, some middle-aged talent, as well as some younger talent contributing to their NHL roster right now. So where should we start with Minnesota? Do you want to just start with a certain position group, or do you want to kind of talk about the young guys, first the old guys? Let, let's – let's. I think let's start with defense again. Okay. Because this is, I think, where there's some clear answers as well as some clear questions. So for me, I don't have a whole lot of answers when I look at this uh, defensive group. And I, I guess my, my concern there is I don't think the Minnesota Wild are a cup team. They're probably... It's almost hard to say how far away they are from it. And I, I guess this is where the weird mixture of the young talent and the older talent comes into play. Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brodeen. I, I guess I'll I'll talk about those two first because they're kind of the mainstays in Minnesota um, on the blue line. Two great players. Spurgeon's 33, Brodeen's 30. 
so r- right now this year I'm I'm not with Minnesota being a team that is contending for a cup. I don't even think I'm really there with them being a team that goes deep into the playoffs. So again, Spurgeon's 33, Brodeen's 30. Where Looking at their defense, if it's not this year, is it next year? Well, they're each getting a year older, obviously. And, okay, is it two years down the road? Are we waiting for some more prospects or some different additions? Well, if that's the case, add two years of age to those guys where it's a little more wear and tear on their bodies. They're just naturally aging and maybe not performing quite as well. I just... I'm kind of concerned as far as their what they look like currently and if it's really going to change long term. So I said I kind of think of them having clear answers and good or bad is that Brodeen and Spurgeon are there. Yeah. Brock Faber's there. He should be there and Kalen Addison should be there. Whether that's good enough is is certainly, I think, one of the cruxes of what we talk about. But I think the defense, at least for the next four or five years, is you have four guys that are pretty cut and dry who are going to be there. And then you're piecing together a bottom pair, which is which is fine. Like you you can go into free agency and do that so your question is, are they good enough? Well, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I also don't know if I'd like Spurgeon is maybe one of the most underrated players of the modern era. Yes. And he has, I mean, he's dealing with an injury now, but he has been relatively healthy and has not really shown signs of slowing down. So, I'd be okay penciling in those four years, those four additional years with him at a high level. Maybe he's pulling back on the minutes a little bit. And then Brodeen, I mean, five years contract, no movement clause, $6 million per. He's there. Yes. Again, you hope he's performing at a high level. I'd feel better putting my money on Spurgeon than Brodeen. Even... No, there is already an age disparity there. But it, it really comes down to is Brock Favor does Brock Favor become what he is projected to be? Does Kalen Addison take another step or two? And I think that's where we start with our defense discussion. Yeah, so I think from an expectation standpoint, Favor is supposed to kind of be more of the guy in the future. Addison looks pretty good so far this year. There were a lot of rumors that they were looking to trade him in the offseason that they didn't think it was working. That can change. I don't know if I'm ready to say that, oh, that's changed a few weeks into the season. But that said, there's probably still potential there. 
I think they almost kind of need there to be potential for their future. But I, I think I, if I'm looking at their defense and looking to the future, Brock Faber's probably where I'm expecting, I, I guess where I'm expecting to find a higher level of a defenseman. That said, he is projected to be a real good defenseman. He's not projected to be an elite defenseman. So while they may be able to have a solid top four, so Spurgeon, Brodeen, Faber, maybe Addison's part of that, maybe it's someone else, I don't know if they're going to have anytime soon a, a new young elite defenseman. I think that's fair, and I think this is one of the kind of first times where I, – I guess I wouldn't say first times, but, like, we're we're basing a level of what we're thinking on kind of what the GMs – like, what's been out there about the team, and that's on Addison. In yes. theory, Addison should be a long-term piece. Was some of the stuff out there related to the fact that they have a $14 million dead cap hit and Addison was one of the easier moving parts, that $14 million coming from the buyouts of Ryan Suter and Zach Parise that's on the books this year and it's going to be on the books again next year. So was some of that Addison talk the fact that they just didn't think they could fit him? Next offseason is going potentially going to be the same discussion i we we said it on the record on episodes we were talking about the wild throughout the offseason we wouldn't trade kaylin addison here but maybe there's something else to that that we're not aware of but in theory minnesota should have four guys it's definitely fair to question the ceiling but that doesn't mean they don't have time and we'll get prospects and longer term building later in the episode does not mean that they can't add someone because Brodine and Spurgeon are still going to be there probably eating minutes for a window that you you have the time to figure that out yes yep so I mean defense there's four guys at least for the next four or five years that in our opinion should be there yes forwards this is where yeah i I know there's two more defense positions but that might Uh, just be free agents so well i mean yeah and right now you got jake middleton goligoski merrill these are all guys who not to nothing against them but yeah like you said the a bottom pair or the the last two defensemen however they would slot in could be kind of any one place in um that's kind of long-term what it should be. But, yeah, at forward, kind of just a classic Minnesota Wild roster right now. Um, some decent talent, kind of more of a gritty, almost a shutdown type of roster at forward. Um, and kind of the, I, I guess, classic Minnesota, what I was referring to was not necessarily having the true number one center. Got a couple great wingers, Kaprizov and Matt Boldy. Um, I guess, 
you know, I, I guess let's start at center. So Joel Erickson Eck, I think, let's say three years ago, there was hope that he would be the number one center. I think he's more of a solid middle six, kind of your ideal, like, great third line center. You've got Ryan Hartman, who they just signed to an extension, so he'll have another three years after this season, who has shown flashes and had real solid seasons basically as the de facto top-line center for the Wild. Is he a true number one? I would say no. I think if he's my second-line center, I'm okay. Then you've pretty much got Marco Rossi, who I think is kind of the big question mark moving forward long term. Yeah, I I would fully agree. I mean, we'll get to the wingers, but that's part of the reason why they might be able to get away with a Ryan with Ryan Hartman playing as their number one center. But yeah, when looking at their at least kind of current center situation. Rossi's the big question. Um, it's it's an unfortunate situation where COVID like has might have changed the trajectory of his career, and that's that's really sad and unfortunate to say. Hopefully, he can make some steps forward. I mean, this year he's producing, playing regular minutes. His underlying numbers are not. In super inspiring but they're not like a huge red flag either like he's playing probably what you'd expect out of a third fourth line center and that's fine but you're hoping for a higher you're hoping with the pedigree that he had that there would be a higher ceiling there and we'll, we'll never have the answer to the question what could have been had he not dealt with the long-term COVID and all the effects of that. And that's, that, it's very unfortunate that that's the question, but he was one of the, he was a very highly touted prospect, but we've never really got to see what he could have been in a professional setting. Yeah. So I, I agree with all that to an extent. I do want to throw out, a couple things here. Minnesota hasn't really been too good this year, just as a team. Having said that, I would say Rossi is probably one of the better performing players on the team. I will say I, I might also be looking at some different stats than you on a different site. I um, yeah, I think I think this is where we also get a level into potentially underlying and production and Well, I I will throw out there just for anyone listening, depending on the site you go to, you're not necessarily going to see the same exact let's say expected goals, for example. Might be a little different depending on where you're getting that from. Um, so, I mean, we've used evolving hockey. We've used natural stat trick. Those are usually the two that we would look at. Um, my main point here 
Rossi in comparison to players on his team, he hasn't been like the one dragging everyone down. The other thing I want to point out, I'm looking at cap friendly for this. Um, they usually update their depth charts fairly regularly as games are played. Back when I was kind of researching the wild earlier uh, a few days ago, I had written down a line of Marcus Foligno, Marco Rossi, and Vinny Lettieri. And I'm looking, as we record this on uh, November 2nd, we've got Patrick Maroon, Marco Rossi, Marcus Foligno. Those two guys are not players that I would really want to put my potential top six center with and expect to kind of see, okay, does he have top six center skill set? Um, not going to play the same type of game as I would say top six wingers. So let's say Rossi got thrown between uh, Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello. I, I think we might see a little bit of a different outcome possibly not not for sure but I I just I kind of look at the situation and I would say Minnesota needs to find out what Marco Rossi is going to be and I don't think they're really one being fair to the player or even fair to themselves if they're going to evaluate Rossi and how he is playing, putting him between Maroon and Felino. So his most common line combination this year, I'm at Evolving Hockey, um, it's been Freddie Goudreau and Marcus Felino. Has been, again, to yeah. your point, that's exactly right. Like That's been his most common kind of line mates. That's been the second most common Minnesota wild line early in the season. Keeping in mind, Matt Boldy's only played a handful of minutes at this point. Dealt with some injuries, missed some time. So that will change, certainly change things up. Um, but I, your point on Minnesota needing to see what Rossi can provide when playing with longer term, higher skilled players is spot on. So, so yeah, maybe, hopefully, the Wild, I mean, I think it's completely justifiable to start him as he's playing, hopefully, a full NHL season in a slightly sh more sheltered role with, like, a Marcus Foligno, who is a very defensive, responsible forward, give him a little bit more free reign, maybe easier matchups and stuff, but... As the season gets going, you're 100% right. He needs to be playing with some combination of Kaprizov, Zuccarello, Boldy, at least one of those wingers. Yeah, and I, I don't want to kind of move too quickly into a prospect discussion. Um, so I'm just going to briefly kind of say this. Rossi is on the NHL roster right now. Of all of the prospects that they have not currently in the NHL, none of the centers are really projected to be anything more than like a middle six 
maybe like hopefully a second line player where I think there's still some belief that Rossi could be a little more than that, which I think I would say speaks to the importance of doing exactly what we've kind of just said. Of It's okay to start him maybe this year with Felino and Maroon and Goudreau and these type of players, but he's kind of your hope at center right now in your organization of having a higher higher level skilled offensive center so I, I think they need to eventually give him a shot with those better offensively skilled wingers there's is one wild card name for center here that i i think we should point out russian playing for s uh for st petersburg marat kuznutsdinov We'll see. We'll see how well I did with that. It's, uh, it's pretty so, good. It's, it's sounded pretty pretty good to me. So it, it's always a que- like playing in the KHL in Russia and coming over when they're going to come over if they're going to come over is is always like that's that's the question. So I mean, twenty twenty draft picks still over in Russia three years later through everything like geopolitical that's going on to like there's you just don't know with that said he also has the look of potentially a top six center he's got the stat profile in the KHL of someone whose game should translate to a higher level NHL role he has the offensive skill that you're looking for Depending on who you ask, some would possibly be worried that he's kind of a smaller player. I think you and I are kind of not opinion that we should just be looking, oh, that guy's small, he's not going to be good. That's not really how this works. I think the biggest issue is what you just mentioned, is just getting him over and playing either in the AHL or the NHL and just getting him acclimated i'd like to think that maybe there's like a russian or two in the organization who could maybe help convince them to come over i don't know who that would really be but uh maybe the best player minnesota's had in who knows how long well there's there's the can you convince them versus how much weight pull considering there are some interesting reports surrounding kaprizov this summer and and I would say if if we're gonna say that uh one one future center small Marco Rossi uh speaking of small centers so yep. Minnesota Minnesota has two probably their projected one and two centers are both under six foot again I don't a hundred like I don't have a huge issue with that either but I I like people that that could become an issue that people point to as far as their center depth yeah. So we're, we're, I guess we're kind of jumping between prospects for uh, at forwards and this, and that's absolutely fine. So center, short term, Hartman, Erickson, Ack, really good, versatile players. So I mean, I think again, Rossi needs to play up further in the lineup later in the season. They have guys that you can very easily just change, change uh, move down in the lineup and feel. Great. Yeah, a lot of plug and play. If 
this role opens up, you can move a guy up. Hartman kind of has a little bit more of a regular top six role now, but he originally was kind of that guy, a great example of it. But they've got some other guys. I would say Felino could maybe do that to an extent. I'm not necessarily putting him opposite like Kaprizov, but he's kind of shown in recent years he could do that a little bit. But Erickson Eck, I think, is the main one of like if you need to deploy him as your top center some nights, that's what you got to do, and he'll he'll be serviceable. He might not be off the charts great. Kind of fits any role you need him to play. Uh, but it, it really is about finding that true number one, I think. And if you're looking at this roster, it's you're either continuing to plug and play certain guys, you got your Hartman, your Erickson Ack, or you see if Rossi can be that top guy for you. So centers definitely, like, and we we've we've harped on this i guess we've harped on centers enough wing is definitely where the strength is and maybe where minnes or the rationale that minnesota can get away a little bit without this top end center at least i mean it's been working for them generally the past couple seasons maybe it can continue to work for them like they arguably have two of the best wingers in hockey and two of the best play drivers, at least one of the best. I, I'd say Matthew Boldy, even though he's a winger, is one of the best play drivers in the NHL, which might, which kind of allows Hartman to play. So, like, even though one's listed as center, the other's listed as wing, if Hartman's playing with Boldy, like, Hartman can do the dirty work for Boldy and let Boldy drive the play. So, Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Boldy, absolutely elite top end talent yes and so that's great in the now but it's also great for the future with Kaprizov being 26 and Boldy 22 so I mean that that is great there are plenty of teams who do not have two elite players like Minnesota on the wing Minnesota I want to mention Matt Zuccarello so we, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode how there's some really Young talent and some older talent. Zuccarello's 36. So far, he's actually been pretty solid for Minnesota. It's just the question of he's 36. When does the real solid good play stop? Um, What's interesting, though, with the Wild is... So at wing is where they look really good. To me, it's it's really because of Kaprizov and Boldy. Because, and I, I guess Zuccarello, to an extent, he's been a top six winger in recent years. Beyond him, or beyond them, I guess I should say, those three and really long term, I guess we'll say two, there's not like a whole lot on their wings. They've got Marcus Foligno, who is probably at best been like a elite third liner and I think that was like one season he was an elite third liner Marcus Johansson Patrick Maroon um Brandon Duheim Duheim Connor Dewar like these are solid role players but these aren't guys you're expecting to become top six players so 
honestly, like, this is a team that I think in general has usually been a little more of a defensive team in the past decade. Maybe not quite a full decade, but as as the Parise Suter years went on and they became not quite as good, they became a little more defensive. And this offense is honestly, I it's getting carried by Kaprizov and Boldy. And I, I guess to an extent like a Hartman and Zuccarello. Yeah, I, th- I think where Minnesota's had an, their success over the past couple of years is they've had four solid lines that just come at you with pressure, with kind of a heavy no style of play, if you will, and then then they throw Kaprizov and Boldy out there as game breakers. So they kind of just yep. break you down. And I agree, their their wingers this year are less than inspiring. Again, we got a like that fourteen million dollar dead cap yes. is a killer here. And I think the other thing with their current situation and also talking about long term is there's some deals on with their wingers that maybe are a little bit of a long term concern. So. Zuccarello's still playing at a high enough level. I I don't know if we, we recorded it, just talked offline, but that's also a contract you probably could have waited until most of the season was over to give him. It should be, like, the, the dollar value in terms should be fine. But then, like, Joel Erickson should be fine. I know he's center, but like, there's some term there into age 31. The big question mark is Marcus Foligno. Again, he's done. He's been a great asset for that team. Good person. Like I don't want to slander Marcus Foligno yeah. because he's a very likable player. But four million dollars starting at age 33 that will take him till 37 for a player who plays his style of hockey does not seem like that's going to age super well. No. And so I, I mentioned he, he had one season where it was kind of, it was kind of a breakout year for him. So this was the 21, 22 season, 42 points, 23 goals, Last year, the 22-23 season, 21 points, 7 goals. Off to a decent start this year from a point perspective. But like you said, the style of play and also just the age of the player, that, that f- $4 million is a little rich in my opinion. Then if you tell me it's for four seasons starting after this one, it's a bit of a concerning contract. It's not one that is going to kill the team's hopes of getting to a cup, but it's one they're going to have to kind of just deal with now. Like, okay, well, that $4 million could maybe be useful somewhere else, especially when you have, I think you mentioned this already, but I just want to point it out again, that Fourteen and a half million that's on the books from Parise and Suter this year, like you mentioned. It's also there next year. 
So like, I don't, I, I just, if you want to get better, is the 4 million next year, that first year of the contract for Felino, is that the best way to spend that 4 million? I'm not so sure. And I, I question like would Felino, how, how much of like offers from other teams, how many offers from other teams would have he even entertained? Like he's been on two teams his entire career and it was not his decision to change teams. So, I mean, I, I, it just, it feels like it was a, I'm not going to say a panic move again. $4 million isn't huge, but you know, if we haven't said this 14, almost $15 million in dead cap space, each dollar counts. The other thing that we hit on with the, when we talked about the Detroit Red Wings and I'm going to put Felino in this category. I'm going to put Frederick Goudreau in this category. Could be fine players. Contracts, at least dollar value-wise, might be fine. But they're also, you, you're kind of locked into them. So Freddie Goudreau, I, I, this, this is shocking to me, is on a five-year contract. So four more after this season. Him and Felino are going to be on the team for the foreseeable future. So, sure, that could be your third, fourth line. But as you start looking to upgrade your roster, those are spots blocking your prospects. Yes, and I will say I I have less, a, a little bit less of a concern with Goudreau being at 2.1 mil a year. And I, I can picture the Minnesota Wild fan saying, well, wait a minute, we got Ryan Hartman for the next three years at $4 million, which personally I, I think that's a pretty good deal for Minnesota. So I, I, I could see them saying, well, it kind of evens out. We got Hartman on a decent contract, which, oh, okay, I guess, but wouldn't you rather have Hartman on a decent contract and not have Foligno at $4 million for four years? So, yeah, I... I Felino's another one similar to Zuccarello of like why not just wait towards the end of the season or into the off season. But to get back to what you said, you mentioned it kind of blocks the prospects. There's some I I don't want to call them older prospects, but the one that jumps out to me is like a Adam Beckman who ha- hasn't really had that like real shot as far as consistent NHL ice time. Um, you'd think you'd kind of want to see maybe what you have there. There's other players coming up. This isn't an, a thing to say like that they're blocked this year or maybe even next year, but so Felino deals four years after the season. So are, are you going to start blocking guys like the a Liam Ogren? We mentioned Kuznadinov, getting him to come over if he sees kind of this third line jam if that's are you going to put him right into the top six right away well now he might feel like he's not even going to get a shot in the NHL you got to eventually try and bring over Danila Yurov you drafted Charlie Strammel who could end up being a solid like middle six maybe even a second line guy there, there's just a lot of prospects that in the next year to three years are going to be 
kind of looking for that last roster spot or two, and that might be taken up by uh, – I'll center in on a Marcus Foligno. Yeah, Adam, Adam Beckman, I think, is the first name to talk about. He's the, he's like the – right now this year, he's blocked. And the other issue – so, yes, he's he's blocked right now. His AHL numbers, he's been a half-point-per-game player, which in the AHL at his age is not bad at all. And the big issue is just from an asset management standpoint, he's on the last year of his contract. So, yes, you still have him as a restricted free agent, so you have him back. You're not going to have to pay him if you don't want to. But at the same point, if your first look is that late into his contract, you're you're just not building. You're not going to be able to make an informed decision on him down the road when you kind of are going to have to. And again, you have. I mean, we, we've, ran, we've ran through enough names. There are guys that you don't need to have on your NHL roster right now. I mean, you, you brought in Pat Maroon, who's who's been a fine fourth-line player, but you don't need to have Pat Maroon on your team. It, you'll be okay. So, Especially when you have Marcus Foligno. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> you, have, you have however many similar type of gritty power forwards if you will bring in maroon you have connor dewar like and then Vinny terry right now i don't know he's up but he'll probably be back down very soon if not already this might be going down a rabbit hole because it's kind of a like why'd they make this decision but th- that's also kind of the spot so freddie goudreau's hurt right now Let's hear he's up. Why why not see what Beckman has to offer? And this kind of goes down just a in-season decision-making, which isn't necessarily what we're here to talk about, but it, it speaks to the lack of like seeing what you have in these younger players. You have to start figuring some of these guys out. It's one thing if you're blocking prospects and this is not just a wild minnesota wild slander right now it's a lot of teams in the nhl would rather play the older quote-unquote veteran who they can quote-unquote trust i'm saying that in quotes for a reason because most of the time that's a miss kind of a misnomer if you will is is there you could put the rookie in and chances are, in the short term, you're going to get the exact same performance. But in the long term, one of those players is going to be better for you. It's not the older guy. And I, I don't know. For a team that's also tight on the cap, they have some. They made some moves, some signings that, again, they could be using a cheaper option who might be providing more. Again, if we haven't mentioned it, they have a $15 million dead cap hit. This might be a slight tangent, almost back to something we briefly mentioned when we were talking about Kalen Addison. 
and how in the offseason there were rumors of him being traded. You kind of brought up there was a real issue of fitting him in cap-wise. Marcus Johansson, two years, two million. And now you can't sign, or you're struggling to sign one of your younger up-and-coming defensemen. And looking at this roster, I guess bring in Johansson, but there's just been some questionable moves. That's one, but we just went over some of the Felino extension. The timing, at least, of the Zuccarello extension, it's not necessarily going to be bad, but just the why, like why right now. Just some weird decisions, not necessarily even bad, but just some weird ones that could impact really the development of your younger players. So, I mean, I think we're it's pretty clear forward-wise, out at least currently in the NHL, outside of Kaprizov, who's going to need a new contract after, the, well, this season and two more. He's going to need a new one, so 26-27 season. Matt Boldy is is locked up. Like, that, that was a tremendous move by Minnesota. He's locked up seven years, seven million. You're good there, but then, again, looking at the contracts on the books, our players at least longer term are players that you might be wishing you didn't have to basically either wave or healthy scratch or put on your fourth line. Erickson X probably going to age fine. He's got the style of game that should be fine. Again, Felino. I mean, I don't want to get too hung up on Goudreau because you're right on the cap hit, but it's still a roster spot for five years. Yes. And then Hartman should be fine as well. Like that he's a versatile enough player that you should be okay moving him down the lineup if needed. Yeah, I think of all of those players, Hartman is maybe one of the more deserving of that extension and is I'm more comfortable of him living up to that contract for sure than I am of the other ones. So like I, I'm not going to make any type of fuss about the Ryan Hartman deal. But those are the only guys with term good or yep. bad. The bad is you have two top end guys and probably a fourth line. Erickson act may be a little bit higher, but probably in three, four years, he's, he's more of a third liner. I mean, he already he, really is he, kind of a yeah. third liner. So, you don't have the top end talent. You have Marco Rossi, so you might have a first line. Into the prospect pool we go, I guess. Yeah. Again, you might have a second. So if Rossi develops how you hope, or Marat Kuznetsov, if he develops as well, you could have a nice one-two punch down the middle. You're okay. Another center prospect that we've kind of glossed over, Hunter Height. Second round pick in the 2022 draft. He's been in juniors. He does, like, his only data is in juniors. He's put up pretty good numbers in the OHL. So, that, I mean, he could be something but i don't like making decisions on 
players who are a couple a year or two removed from their draft with only junior level data that that's just not you're not making a like you it could be anything so yes yep so center i guess there's rossi and then two other prospects potentially at that position and again you have hartman and erickson act at least locked up for some level of turn wing though there's a lot of coin flips yeah i guess yurov has skill getting him over and seeing if it translates you look at a Liam Ogren, you're kind of, I mean, he could be like a solid middle six guy maybe on the wing. Adam Beckman, we, we kind of mentioned uh, an, another, I think you'd hope middle six, but might be more of like a bottom six, third line type of guy. It's, it's kind of like middle six ceilings on the wing. Uh, maybe someone in like a Yurov who could push to be a top six player. Centers and wingers for the Wild in their prospect pool. I think there's fairly solid depth. There isn't an elite prospect coming. There isn't a Matt Boldy or a Kaprizov. Well... Most likely not, unless uh, a Yurov or a Kuznadinov do come over and light it up, which is, I guess, possible. But on the surface, looking at their prospects, there's there's not an elite talent coming. Yeah, and Charlie Strammel, you mentioned earlier, I'll throw out yep. again, first their first-round pick this year. I mean, he has position flexibility, but his... His numbers, at least in college, are fine for being younger, but also not anything that screams like lock top of the lineup player either. Yeah. So, so it, it's it's the two it's the two Russians that are probably giving you your. I mean, heck, if they both come over, at like similar timeline together, I mean, then you could have a pretty legitimate top six if they are what they probably should be. Yeah. I, I would imagine both players would have been so Yurov probably would have went maybe even top ten if he's not Russian. And I would imagine same with the with the center as well. Not gonna try the name yet again, but uh I, I would imagine <laughs> he probably was maybe snuck into the first round. Possibly yeah. if he wasn't of Russian descent, and there were questions coming over. So, so I mean, there kind of the, the Russian players that are over in Russia still. It, it seems like for the most part, it's almost always a wild card, unless it's like the elite, high end, top five kind of prospect, you know, top five in a draft. Like once you start working your way into the back end of the first round, it that's where the questions start to pop up of bringing guys over and it, it's it's a wild card the the not to make a joke about it a wild card for the wild but it's two players who could turn into great talents and completely change the outlook the long-term outlook or worst case scenario Minnesota never sees those two players 
it's it's tough to tough to project that out long term. So maybe the prospect to pencil in very lightly as the other. So I mean, we're being very optimistic potentially in the top six, but Liam Olgren. But the problem is, like he he's I think who the organization would like to pencil in there. I mean, first round pick in the twenty twenty two draft, like that's someone you're you're kind of hoping. Looking at his numbers though in Sweden, he hasn't been able to consistently play even at the top level, and a lot of prospects at that age are at least playing regularly and putting up some level of production in in the top Swedish league and he hasn't been able to do that yet and that's that's a cons- I mean that's where like we're very like if you're penciling him in it's in you're writing it very lightly with the eraser ready yeah, and I, I think that's kind of, I mean, that's really the concern here, I think, is he, you, you take away the two Russian prospects. On the wing, Ogren is kind of the top guy. Well, I, I guess Yurov's the one Russian winger. So o- Ogren's kind of your your top guy, and some of the centers could shift to wing, and then all of a sudden, they're okay, there's a little more depth there, I guess, but... Your top wing prospect is someone who is probably like a middle six winger, second line winger, and he's not performing very well. That's it's concerning, and I, I don't want to keep like reiterating this, I guess, but there's a lot of middle six guys and then a bunch of role players, but there's not an obvious, like, this guy's definitely going into our top six. Getting back to Adam Beckman, this is why you need to look at him. You need to figure out, can you pencil him in, or is that, or do you need to basically replace him in your pool, and in your organizational depth chart, and... Again, they could be getting a look, but they're choosing not to. Yep. Okay, so I, I guess we kind of gave a good look into the forward group. Two amazing wingers, some decent role players, could really use a number one center still, and prospect depth is concerning if the two Russians don't come over. Looking at the defense... So we we talked about Spurgeon Brodine. They're going to be there for a little while. They've got Faber and Addison, who are really the two young pieces. Faber 21, Addison 23. They're both in the NHL right now. Coming up through the pipeline, going to throw out two names right now. First one being is probably their better defensive prospect is Carson Lambos, who isn't I think a guy who is expected to really wow you offensively but he'll be solid same thing defensively he's not going to be elite but he should be pretty good so probably like a decent second pair or elite third pair player another one to mention is Jack Pert 
similar type of outlook that he is solid on both ends, but not anything special. Might not be quite as good, though, and might be more of a bottom pair at best. Not a whole lot going on for the Minnesota Wild on the back end in the prospect pool either. There's a couple more names we can maybe touch on. I mean, I I don't necessarily see names that I'm... I, I, I'm more so... Let, let me make sure I get the names right. So Damon Hunt was pick 65 in the 2020 draft. At this point, what is there to really expect there? Okay, I guess that's really about it. Not a whole lot coming up for the Wild on defense. They could really use adding to the prospect pool there. The issue is I think we would say the same thing about the forward group. So, yeah, I guess long-term future as far as young young players is a little bleak i i i think yes but i also think i mean carson lambos was like a key contributor on one of the best canadian junior teams and i don't think that that's i don't want to overlook that um and then jack pert has put up decent numbers playing college hockey again is is this a guarantee absolutely not but the fact that again you have Brodine and Spurgeon there for enough time that you it might buy you enough to and I'm fully in agreement they need to add pieces but you might be able to at least get looks at some of these guys in lesser roles to really see what you have again add pieces because even even if these both of them kind of pan out you still don't really have your Brodine Spur well they would ideally be your Brodine Spurgeon replacement but then you need someone else to potentially come in for another middle pair bottom role as well yeah I think it's not a necessity right now but uh, eventually they're going to need a, a new number one, which Spurgeon will probably be that still for a little while, but they, they're going to need to add and start developing some defensemen here. And they really haven't spent a high pick on a defenseman yeah. recently. And I mean, that, that probably needs to happen. And I'm not even sure how many picks they really spent, which is, which is fine. We we talked about Buffalo first, and that was the exact same thing we talked about with them. I mean, except they had the two high and young players. So, yeah, definitely more probably need to build up that defensive depth. But to me, I'd still be shooting for forwards first. Yes, no, I I agree. I agree. I think um, especially right now, just long-term outlook on defense, you probably at least have a top three for the next almost half decade, if not a top four on the NHL roster right now. So it the the need in both the NHL and 
in the pipeline, I think, is a little bit greater at forward um, than defense. But, yeah, it's still good to try and beef up the defense prospect pool. That said, a position, the last position, goalie, that we haven't touched on yet, might be a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more positive for Minnesota. Um Philip Gustafsson in net is 25, came off a real solid season last year. Um, got him at 3.75 this year and then two more seasons to follow until he's a UFA. Marc-Andre Fleury's in his last year under contract. Could be his last year in general. And that's okay. I, I think Gustafsson has shown enough to at least be one of your goalies. So that that's good. I I think we can almost sort of jump right to the prospect, though. It's Jesper Wallstedt. I don't have a whole lot to say other than he's an elite goalie prospect who is going on. I think I think he's in his second year in the AHL now. He was there last year. Getting very close to ready. I would hope he sees a little bit of time this year, but I think the real test will be going into next season when I think Fleury's gone. But Wallstedt should, in theory, make a great tandem with Gustafsson, if not possibly take over the number one job. Yeah, um, I mean... Every episode we've recorded so far, we've kind of had like positive and negatives on just contract structure, how, where, when spots are becoming available. And the way Minnesota set it up is, is actually, I think, perfect. Flurry probably exits after this year. Wallstat ideally comes in. I think, as you alluded to, though, might be a good idea to get a couple maybe as the season goes along get him a couple games in the NHL because you could also pivot to uh get get someone for another year or two as a veteran in the NHL to give him a few another year or two in the AHL and then but let's assume your plan is he's your probably 1B next year well, then you have another year or two to figure out, is he your 1A? Are you going to roll with your tandem as it is? Or are you going to cycle one of Wallstadt or Gustafson out? And I guess I all, all of those are possibilities. And the Wild, I think, have structured their goalie situation in a way that makes it easier to accomplish whatever whatever path they want to go and and i think that's kind of a critical juncture when you're just talking about team building yeah so wallstead is under contract this year and next year on his entry level then he's an rfa so in theory you could give him a few games or handful of games this year Next year, maybe steps in with Gustafson. You have Wallstead on his entry level, Gustafson at 3.75. 
see what they do in their first year as a tandem. Then you're going to need to make a decision on the next contract for Wallstead. Goalies don't tend to break the bank early. So coming off the entry level, that first deal isn't usually huge. I would say if he's very good early, you should make that commitment. But it's generally not going to be too stressful of a financial situation. And your other goalie that you have on the roster under contract is there for 3.75 for another season following that. That's very, very, very manageable. Um, so like you said, the, the at least at the goalie position, the way they've kind of planned this and built this out, it all fits together very well where the kind of as the decisions come up it's really wide open at the position they can really make any decision that they need to contrary to the other positions particularly forward I think the one criticism I would have at goalie is their organizational depth chart at least so you have your next NHL goalie but you don't I don't see someone that's likely your third. I mean, right now it's it's Hunter Jones whose AHL numbers have ha, like he's been mostly an ECHL guy and his AHL numbers have not been inspiring. Even his ECHL numbers have not been inspiring. So you have no one else after that, and that's, I mean, if you have two guys in the NHL, well, that's really all that matters, because you can plug and play AHL guys, sign some, and then if someone has to come up for, you know, injury injury uh, duty or whatever, fine, but if you decide that you want to move on from probably Augustafson, then you really need someone else in the pipeline so minnesota needs like it's funny they were thought of a not that long ago of having one of the best prospect pools and now they need to they kind of need to replenish and even add some top-end talent and i think that's an ish a level so i think the wild want to compete i think they want to if you want to compete, that usually means making trades. I don't think the Wild can afford to make trades, at least with futures right now. They really shouldn't be trading too many draft picks away because they don't really have high-end talent in the system at all. Um, I would find it concerning if they find themselves kind of in the playoff picture end up moving like a first at the deadline for a rental or something it's not going to be good for the future the thing with the goalies and net i kind of like the philosophy of teams just every year throw a dart you don't have to take someone in the first round like wallstead now i will say so if you want to move on from gustafson it most likely means wallstead's an obvious number one and yes, you still need a second goalie, so you want to keep getting guys to come up, but I'm more saying that 
to make my point of you, you don't need to take a first round goalie. Most teams don't. You don't even need to take a second round. Just each year it would be good to throw a dart at a fifth, sixth round goalie. Make sure you're always kind of having someone in each development spot throughout your organization so that as guys either get to the NHL and fail or you can't afford to keep everyone, you're constantly bringing someone along. You do it at forward and defenseman, you should do it at goalie too. So to just stress how thin Minnesota's organizational depth is at goalie, Flurry Gustafson, Jones, or sorry, Whilst that McIntyre Jones, Zane McIntyre being a 30-year, 31-year-old journeyman, basically AHL, NHL spot duty type goalie. They have no one outside of those guys on their reserve list, under contract, in their organization. So Flurry, when he retires at the end of this year or probably is not re-signed at a minimum, Zane McIntyre is, is, I mean, he's any AHL goalie. You have three guys, and one's really an ECHL guy. Yeah. Again, you have your NHL situation taken care of, but they might have to take two goalies this next year. Yeah, and so the NHL situation is taken care of for the next two to three years. But if someone gets hurt for an extended period of time, that could be concerning. If you make some bad decisions and you can't afford to keep both Walsta and Gustafson after that two to three year time period with their contracts, that's concerning because there's no one behind them right now. So, yeah, I, I keep like you need to throw darts. They might even, like you said, need to take a couple this upcoming draft depth all around forward defense goalie it needs to improve and like you said if they start making some trades to contend they're gonna make it even even tougher to build that depth so we usually like to kind of wrap up with a like long-term cap hit long-term contract look we'll do it quickly but really the wild are really really tough so i have after jared spurgeon's contract is over in four years um i'm projecting the cap to be around a hundred million so i'm using this baseline because i think spurgeon's kind of the last good i i kind of feel like when his contract's up that's the end of the window if if they're in a window but I think that's when the core kind of turns over. So we talk about, do they have their long-term pieces? Do they have cap space? So quickly, their long-term pieces, their long-term cornerstones, maybe they have a center. Maybe. I think at least with having Matt Boldy on wing, you feel a little bit better at least of having a first-line play driver. So we'll give it maybe a pencil check mark. Defense, I'm not willing to give it a check mark. At least long term, once once you're past the Spurgeon years. Yeah, I've, so right now there's 
really for me it's a question mark next to Brock Faber's name is what does he become I don't think he's going to be a number one so I I guess I I think they'll still be looking for that top defenseman but that's the question mark for long term down the road I think is Brock Faber is he able to step into that role because right now there's no one else I don't think and then goalie I think I, I mean, I think you, I mean, you never want Penn in a goalie, but I think you, you're pretty, pretty confidently penciling in Wallstadt, if, if not Gustafson. Yeah, I, I will say, like, like you said, you don't want to use Penn, but I, and we even talked about how it's a little shaky depth wise, but Minnesota is probably much closer to using Penn with their long-term goalies than a majority of the NHL. So maybe a question mark at center. I, I'd feel a little better at least having a, a good first line for years to come in a, maybe a little bit more of a unique way. Defense is absolutely a question mark at best. Goalie's probably good. In four years, projected cap $100 million. I have them with $24 million committed. That does not include a new Kaprizov contract which is going to be i would say in the tens but really probably we're talking i i mean i'm just spitballing at this point 15 and and under a hundred million dollar cap is that outrageous to say so three years from now pretty much well so the rate when his current contract would expire yeah we're probably looking at roughly like june july of 2026 is when he's going to need a new deal and yeah at that point we're probably looking at it at least i would think 11 probably more like that that seems way too conservative almost with the cap increases so we'll say say 12 and a half maybe maybe conservatively Probably, probably really fairly. So that brings us sixty-three and a half million. Again, Spurgeon's off the books, so you have Brodeen for one more year. You got Boldy. You have Ericssonak. You have Marcus Foligno. <laughs> Goudreau. And you have Freddie Goudreau. You're probably paying one of your goalies. I probably six, seven. Eight million, hopefully, like that's that's probably your your hope at least. You want to pay someone if they're good. Yep. So we're looking at fifty five and a half ish million to fill out their roster. I don't I don't think that takes into account a couple million still of those dead cap hits. If we didn't mention, they still have fifteen million oh, yeah. of dead cap hit this this year and next year. It doesn't go away though so the four seasons after that it's still going to be 1.6 just over 1.6 million for Parise and Suter each year so um, that, total, total that's that's not that's not bad um but not no. great either so say about 55 54 million to fill out almost an entire roster and it's it's funny, like the first one with the Sabres, we were questioning, like, do they have like they have too many guys to pay? Who are they paying? Detroit and Minnesota now we're more trying to figure out 
who those guys might be. I mean, they're probably hoping to pay Marco Rossi six to eight million dollars. Best case like, scenario for them is he's worth that. Yeah. Again, hoping in that he's worth paying that amount of money to. Then after that, I mean, there's there's not anyone that isn't under contract named Kapril Kaprizov or Marco Rossi that I would feel comfortable penciling in a dollar amount for right now or even part of the organization. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think not to keep hammering this, but I think it goes back to when you've got some younger guys, try and find out what they are. And maybe that just means you play them for a year or two and it's not working out and you cross them off the list. But I would be a little concerned because of the lack of prospect depth that this would be a team that relies on free agency a little too much and kind of gets themselves in a hole. Yeah, I mean, there's long-term after, let's call it the Spurgeon era ends, there's definitely going to be some money to work with. It's just... If there's no one in-house to really give it to, it means possibly some shaky decisions elsewhere. I do want to kind of use this time to point out, though, of we're, we're constantly mentioning in different episodes, different conversations, how important it is to sign your young guys. And we're talking about the 2026 offseason needing to possibly give Kaprizov, like, anywhere from 11 to 14 million, 15 million. That off season, so when Kaprizov's new deal will have to kick in, the Wild are still going to have Matt Boldy at $7 million for four more seasons. So there is a very, I don't want to say very real chance, there is a chance that Kirill Kaprizov could be making almost double what Matthew Boldy makes for four seasons. That's why you need to try and sign your young players to long-term deals right away, is this Matthew Boldy situation. It's Of anything Minnesota has going for them, that's the best thing. So Minnesota has space like they have space but doing some kind of quick cap math real quickly and and this will be kind of where we we wrap it up so right now they have only 24 million committed take off another like 1.6 for the dead cap hit but you pay Kaprizov you pay let's just say Let's let's be optimistic and say you pay Marco Rossi eight million dollars because he develops into what you're looking at. Spend eight million on a goalie. You would have under contract a first line, Kaprizov, Rossi, Boldy. I'm just going to kind of jokingly but somewhat seriously say a fourth line of Eric Sinek, Felino, Goudreau, Jonas Brodin. And ideally a number one goalie. So you need to basically fill your entire defensive core out. Plus your middle six 
forwards for about $46 million. That's kind of not great. It's not great. Um, If you had a good prospect pool, you'd feel a little more comfortable because you'd kind of be able to kind of patch your lineup a little bit with some entry-level contracts, but uh, that's not the case. So you know, we, we get to that point, maybe a, two or three of these prospects hit, but they're going to need new deals fairly soon at that point. I think what could end up happening here is we see some free agent deals that aren't very good for the team. Or there's just going to be some obvious holes of kind of some close to league minimum guys playing in roles they shouldn't be. We'll we'll see what happens. I I'm not overly concerned because there's enough freedom roster space wise, but the cap situation could get a bit worrisome with another bad deal or two. Yeah, I was I was just going to say like if they make a bad free agent decision, pay someone eight to ten million dollars, which is probably that that's that's what I mean I think is kind of on track to happening. Say that's a defenseman. You go, you dip into the defensive market, get an eight to ten million dollar defenseman to kind of replace Spurgeon, which would make a ton of sense unless you're paying Faber that. But even yeah. that, like either way, I think you're you're filling out your top pair on defense with an, probably an eight to ten million dollar guy. We're under forty million dollars to fill out the rest of your again the rest of your defense and your middle six forwards, hey, and that's probably looking at seven at least seven players to sign there if not 10 11 12 so that yeah that's it could become an issue quick with a bad decision or two yeah and just real quick math that's just under six million a player which sounds sounds generous but again another bad decision and there you dip in and sign a second free agent somewhere or you end up having to pay more to like a Marco Rossi because you bridge him and then suddenly he takes off and now you're on the books with $10 million because you didn't go long to start. We're, we're starting to pinch pennies already for the Minnesota wild. Yeah. And the other thing with that is 6 million a player. That's fine. Now, like it, Six mil AV right now could get you some good players. Like that's actually pretty good. Three, four, five years from now, there there are going to be third liners making six million a year. So, like the, your number four defenseman is probably going to be making six mil a year on a on a pretty decent average team, slightly above average. It's not. That $6 million per player is not going to go as far as it does now. So it it should feel a little more uneasy for the Wild moving forward, for sure. I mean, one, I guess one last thought on, on the Wild. So, I mean, we're, we're being a little pessimistic, but at the same point, 
that year that we're being pessimistic about the next year they're going to have 12 million coming off their book plus another rising cap so for a team that's that's been juggling cap already and will be continuing to juggle those dead cap hits and then probably just some bad contracts it, it will it will be okay but they need to also have players to pay at the time so minnesota I, it's it's un it's weird how i guess the mighty have fallen at least in terms of like future outlook i think if we had recorded this a year ago year and a half ago we're we're raving about the wild and definitely not there at this point so appreciate you listening subscribing to this podcast on wherever you might be listening um give us a follow at afp analytics on twitter at max term pod and uh with that we'll talk to you next time